Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. You're listening to one of three hosts, Steve. You're also listening to Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Who is second of three hosts. That's now, true. Now there's John, third of three hosts. Best for last. What are we, the Borg? We I'm, are I'm questioning hosts. like I didn't start this. Right, yeah. I was going to say, this was your premise. You <laughs> yeah. can't question it. That's Well, I'm glad you're going with it. Do I have to talk in the radio voice? I don't want to talk no, in the smooth jazz please. radio voice. No smooth jazz radio if voice. If you go smooth jazz, I might revolt. Nah, nah, I'm not doing it for you. It'd be uprising of one. I thought about it. Yeah, but which that's isn't enough. really an uprising. It's a third of the population. You would up- of this podcast. You would create an uprising against the soft, mellow jazz voice. Yes, the but NPR it's... voice. But the NPR voice doesn't doesn't work when you get impassioned about something. What is your problem with the NPR voice? I don't think the listeners could even hear that. Considering they can, it is a very sensitive mic. Oh, more sensitive than your ears. Okay, or your ego. Well, I was oh. going to say that. I was going to make a joke about how I should stop calling it names behind its back. But thank you for killing that before I even got the chance to. You're welcome. So besides <laughs> rambling they have mindlessly at each other, I'm sure we're here for a reason. Probably. Mm. Yeah, we are. Of course we are. We're here to do a listener pick. And that is for our one, our only, our favorite, Jose, a.k.a. Knockjaw. Guess what? We're following up on a very, very, very early pick of his. Um... About four months ago, because he gave us two at once. So you just walk right into this, Jose. We have to space it out. The two albums that he had in mind at the time were The Last Shadow Puppets, Everything You've Come to Expect, and The Heavies, Hurt and the Merciless. He said at the time in his email that they were two of his favorite bands, but his head was splitting over which two requests for an album review. So he submitted them both, and he hoped it's not too much trouble. I'm just reading his email, but replacing the tense. (laughs) He'd prefer the Puppets release for review over The Heavies, but that's not his decision to make, after all. (laughs) But of course, we didn't care. We just followed what he said, because he's the one requesting. So we did uh, The Last Shadow Puppets first. That was back in episode 190. And after a little bit of time to let another uh, album request in, that was Alex Star F. Alverson's, we are now completing his request by doing The Heavies, Hurt, and The Merciless. And honestly, I have to say, for all that time, I didn't listen to this album, because I tried to, you know, listen to the albums we had to do from week to week before getting to this. And I thought that this was going to be a heavy rock album, because I never heard the the band. I believe you two had. Yeah, But I never heard the band and I just saw the album cover and I saw like this Goosebumps-esque drippage of the their font and their, the name of their band over the radio tower and I just figured it would be really really hardcore. Well, first and off, it is hardcore in a different way. Well, first off, you can't make snap judgments, you know, about you know the outside of, of this something. Is true. It's, Don't it's, judge a book by its cover or, or an album in this case. Yes, there yes. you go. But um, speaking of where Matt and I know the heavy, we know it because of Borderlands Two and how awesome the opening song is, "Short Change Hero." I love that track. I love that song, and I did actually delve into the album it came from, but I realized. For the most part, Short Change Hero feels like an outlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely connected to their sound, but when you take... Because that was also very early in their career. They've had a couple albums since. As the, um, their kind of albums evolved from, from album to album, 
they've changed quite a bit, and they lean more towards a funk rock kind of sound, whereas that was more indie rock. But they have elements of indie rock in this new album, too. It was also a much more pared-down kind of a track for even that album. I mean, yeah. it was very, very tight, but also very quiet in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was meant to be more low-key than the rest of the album. Well, I so, didn't expect funk, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> not and from George Change Here. No, definitely not from that piece. No, definitely. Definitely, definitely not. Definitely definitely not. Thank you, Rain Man. But You're it's welcome. But it's no secret to Crash Chords listeners that I'm a fan of funk. Of course, that's not the end of the story, but if that was anywhere within Jose's headspace when picking this album uh, alongside the also fairly funky Last Shadow Puppets co-request then something funky's going on. Well, uh, wait, uh, no, let's give him a pity laugh. Ha, 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 a ha, pity ha, laugh? Thank you. Uh, I don't welcome. give anybody pity laughs. But that was Humor a... has to be earned, damn it. Okay, Ouch. okay, I, re- I retract. Uh, that's uh, that's not... Uh, looking back, I don't think that's true <laughs> with you. <laughs> you you give heart in your sleeve, is that your expression? Yeah, but that's Laughs not on pity. your sleeve, too. Oh, that's oh, true. Oh. That is you. Yeah, well, alright then. Alright, we just take shots at everyone here. <laughs> Pot shots, if you will. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, the Heavy, as far as a band, though, like, I didn't have a ton of expectations just based on the one song, and after listening to the rest of that early album, going into this album, I kind of knew what to expect because, like we said, Short Change Hero was the outlier, so I knew they mostly dabbled in kind of classic rock kind of sound and, and, and kind of a funky bass, and so... Well, not not based the instrument, based as in foundation. I suppose I just would have taken some cues from Jose's tastes. Perhaps, or his tastes through the very narrow lens of what he's recommended to the Crash Chords podcast. Which I have to say, I'm digging. I'm digging that library of yours. Well, today. he's also made recommendations to me outside of the podcast, like um, the band Mystery Skulls. And they are outside of his tastes, uh, what we would expect based on the podcast. Because Mystery Skulls are more kind of dance pop or synth dance music. But he recommended to me knowing some of the synth dance stuff I liked. True. Ah, well, there you are. So, so he well, still made a recommendation based on my taste, based within his tastes. And in regards to his tastes, we are doing The Heavies, Hurt, and The Merciless today. And we'll start off with track one, Since You've Been Gone. Uh, to be fair, this actually was pretty heavy for funk. So there's that connection, at least, to my but, previous theory. Though it didn't quite sound 100% funk. I felt like it was leaning a little bit more towards the ska way of doing things. That's because of the brass. There's a lot of yes. brass here, and it actually brass in tandem with guitars. And I think that's what made this stand out in the crowd. Brass and guitars as a pair is not really that common for funk. I mean, maybe in certain sections, or it's more of a trade-off thing. But here they're playing in tandem at the same time, and it's it's uh, more of an in-your-face structure. Frankly, I think all of my theories behind this album, judging it on its cover, were that, you know, it would be, you know, hard rock, hardcore, heavy metal. And I don't think that has anything on this in terms of just presence. It's pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the album cover had a hint of, to me, what, you know, a lot of psychedelic records kind of had as far as, like, those big, crazy letters and that kind of stuff and kind of wrapping around each other. Yeah. But um, as far as sound for the song, I liked the vocals, as soon as they come in, kind of have this soulful, almost James Brown kind of feel to that. Very James Brown, although I took it a slightly different route, um, more modern Bruno Mars, sure. who obviously pulls from the same exact pool, and Absolutely. because it was in a pop format, I was really thinking of the kinds of things that he did that were very 70s. Yet the first thing I'm listening to is actually the rhythm section, the percussion line, because while it's fairly simple, it's nice, and it's huge, and it's a real pump-up piece. I think I would say it's maybe even a little more uh, 
complicated than you're giving it credit for. It's the, probably the the dominant element, certainly uh, in the chorus. Because all right, in the beginning you have the you have the the strings, you have the brass, you have the 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 guitars, all of that stuff. The the verse you could, it's kind of a little bit of a wall of sound, but it's a funky wall of sound. And then when the chorus starts, it's slightly less muddy than it was before because it's just the vocals and the drum breakdown here, mm-hmm. or rather the drums are more dominant. They play throughout the whole chorus, and then the instruments only come in with this uh, vocal reiteration. This since you've been gone, and then this little breakdown, and then since you've been gone again, it's really pretty funky. Yeah, it, it takes me back to everything that I love about funk. I, little grievances here and there, but I'll get to them later. Well, I do like how the drums step forward in that chorus part that you're talking about. You know, a lot of records that we've done recently, the drums have kind of just been there to build structure. Here, they're stepping outside of that and doing a little more. They retain the spotlight throughout most of this album, in well, fact. Yeah. But I would actually complain about the chorus itself. I actually have two big gripes with the pre-chorus chorus. One is the pre-chorus has that all-rise kind of a feel to it. The first rendition is great. Yeah. The second is just the same thing, and that that weakens it for me. My other gripe is the chorus. The chorus is a statement chorus. The chorus is a very short, one-utter line. And I understand from a actual classical kind of chorus point of view, it's great to have something that's easy enough to sing along to that gets you hooked right away. Since you be gone. Yeah, since you've been gone and since you've been gone, you've been gone, you've been gone. They reiterated a few times. But, it's this like downward chord progression. It's how clipped the vocals feel inside the actual length of the chorus lines. It, it doesn't feel like it's really expanding to the space itself. The drums do a lot to accent it and to build upon it, but I don't feel like it was as connected as it could have been to really make it grand. Um, you know why? I think that's because, all right, Matt said James Brown earlier, and mm-hmm. I think James Brown, um, I would compare the vocalists very closely to James Brown, except for the fact that the drums are here, and I think it actually manages to steal the spotlight away from the James Brown-esque figure. And that's why I don't think I get a lot of... Like, he's got punch there, which is why I think actually the short lines really uh, really bring out something in the music, or would if there wasn't something else there that was stronger next to it. I, that's why it's just kind of a little barren to me. But see, what I would say is that the vocals are not the most important part because as the choruses progress throughout this song, the second and third choruses add more instrumentation besides just the drums. They add a bit more. Um, um, you know, like there are strings in the second pre-chorus and chorus, and then the third one, you have more instrumentation than had been present throughout the whole song, you know, I, and I like that it built to that. Uh, I, it did, but remember, we started out pretty strong, so I don't think it's it's fair to imply as like it had been thin, you know. Well, we, no, but the we described everything the opposite of that. But effect. the choruses kind of went in on themselves a bit and did get thin. All right, that is true. And that is as true. the choruses came back, they added more. But that for starts... instance, the second chorus, the yeah. porn guitar echoes like it's porn guitar echoes. I'm describing that as if it's like, oh, you know, your your typical porn guitar echoes. Well, if you have the 1980s doing. porn guitar, you can hear it right away. I mean, it's that. 70s. Let's go classic. Okay, era. let's go. Let's go with the big mustaches. <laughs> but I, I, I get that. I, I the build though in this chorus, I feel like it still doesn't live up to the instrumentation earlier. Um, I, that's that's my big gripe because I like the drums. I really like the drums, and later in the album, I'm gonna love the drums. But there's just some je ne sais quoi I'm missing in this chorus to really build it for me. 
that the little instrument that was in the beginning, the, 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 the opening few bars were just so great and powerful for me. I'm just, I'm not getting it. I'm kind of feeling you. All right, this is uh, an interesting point that I don't think we often bring up, and it's a very simple point to make when discussing music, especially music of this caliber. I listened to it first, one run through, and I had kind of a question to myself, like, all right, is this one of the few times in which I have to be in the mood for funk? I mean, I know I usually say that I'm into it at all times of day, but of course there are levels. And the wall of sound thing did kind of rub me a little the wrong way first. So actually the the, the, the blurring, I think, of the pre-chorus that I described earlier, I think that was kind of a negative. But then I listened back again, and all I did was I turned it up a little bit. <laughs> I, that's really all I did, and I enjoyed it so much more. It's uh, meant to be the, loud. The track as a whole, I think it's meant to be loud. This is funk we're talking about. and I, We've tried to try this with all different manners of, of audio experimentation with most of the albums that we look at. Uh, some things don't even require it. Some things are just good in all capacities. This really just kind of needs to be blared. I know that's a weak argument, because I've often shut it down before, because I hate the loudness war You know that is going on between a lot of uh, pop songs. It does get tiresome, but in this case... You're talking about funk. Turn it up. Is that why you're a little bit down on the bridge as well? Because I'm pretty oh, down on the bridge for how low it gets. The to bridge, start with. no, the bridge. I have a separate problem with, and that is the fact that I, I, I don't use the word divorced very often on this podcast. Not anymore. Um, not anymore <laughs> because we also got into a habit where we were saying it way too much, even when it wasn't even relevant. This time, I think it's a little bit relevant. Maybe just because y- you do go down quite a bit, not in just in terms of volume, but in thinness. It goes down to these. these it's a cool thing. Like, there's chimes there. It's a much daintier structure than the the, the strut, the confidence of earlier. And you hear this, like, distant, uh, these distant vocals, distant choir in the background that are kind of, like, talking through a really bad speaker. And it just really contrasted with everything else. Uh, and, of course, what they're saying there is the, the raindrops won't stop falling, the raindrops won't stop falling. You kind of know what's going to happen here. Like, the drums step in with a steady pulse, and they build, they build. Until finally you're back to another chorus. Like, you knew you, that was going to happen. And I found myself at that time kind of enjoying the, the build back to a previous segment that I was enjoying. Uh, but I also knew that it was a little bit predictable. So, yeah, it was kind of a split reaction. I wouldn't argue on the predictability, for sure. But I just don't think it's as divorced as you guys do. I don't know. It felt kind of almost expected for me for things to kind of drop out and to then build back up. In a song like this, with a structure like this, I would expect something like that. So while I would agree that I didn't love it, I would disagree that it didn't fit. I would I would just make the, uh, the argument that there should have been a little bit more of a nod towards the previous rhythm, almost from the get-go. That might have done a lot more. Yeah. Maybe if the chimes Wouldn't were that... even doing a rendition of what the drums were doing more forcefully, I mean, for chimes, more forcefully, but something like that that made it the through line that had been ever-present feel like it was there in the bridge. But had they done that, wouldn't it have kind of taken the punch out of the build-up? Because the build-up brought us back to that section? Well, the build-up stands up by itself. I, I, I will guess. be honest with that part. The build-up feels like they were coalescing the really cool rhythm section I was enjoying. Furthermore, let me play devil's advocate with my own argument here. I mean, if you assume that such a minor little thing as the manner in which we listen to music, you know, what volume you're listening to it at, if these little adjustments can change your perception of a song in such a a massive way, as they did with me, then probably the same would be said that if you just listen to this track a few more times, then you're not going to be using the word divorced at all. You just will have accepted it as a part of the song. And that Mm -hmm. is always 
the shaky ground on which we walk when we're discussing these sorts of things. Like, it, it's the manner in which you listen to it can it can change your perception imperceptibly. <laughs> That's very perceptive. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, all in all, though, I think I really do like the song. I think it's a strong intro to the album. Um, but and, and the minor gripes that I have are even more minor for me than it is for you guys. So I think right. this is a good transition point to mosey on to track two. What happened to the love? What happened? Which is a very important question to ask. It is. This is a. I I love the really heavy funk guitar that starts off this track. I love just going like it starts straight with, right to the wall of it just going. It really starts moving right away. Like yeah. They now, don't, there's no wait here. It's it's more rhythm oriented. Oh, it's or, all it's all drums. All, yeah, drums. all drums. No, no, and no kind it's of, the guitar. The guitar that shows up right away. The guitar guitar is also interesting. It's kind of um back to the drums though. It's kind of punk inspired. That's the reason why I bring them up because there's a lot of like on the upbeat here, so it's sort of fusing uh, two different genres together, but it all feels like one thing. It feels, it doesn't feel like it's fusing two genres. It's just got, it's got the same energy, maybe even more energy than the previous song had. But there's further connectivity because actually the pre-chorus here has this like upward chord progression, kind of not unlike the uh, downward chord progression that was occurring in the previous song's chorus, but in this case you get the sense that it's clearly building up to something and it certainly revealed something. The, the chorus here is like this weird call and response deal, but it is so James Brown. It's it's also using the, the short little phrases, you know, simple phrases like John mentioned earlier, tell me what happened to the the response is choir, the love, love, love. And the rhythm here has got this cool, like, hemiola thing. It made it much more interesting, in fact, when you add the drums in, which throw in these emphases, which I can't tell if they're perfectly aligned with the choir's love, 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 or whether the drums are coming in just a second before that, just on, like, on the, the 16th note before that, or maybe even, like, the third of a triplet before that. It's, it was really, really cool. It was it was uh, it was rousing the way the previous track didn't quite hit me. Yeah, I was really enjoying that something setup to focus to it. on for once, not just the wall of sound. And it felt like the build from verse to pre to chorus. It was it felt a lot more fluid than the previous track for me as well because it was reliant very heavily on the drums on the percussion line and as much as I enjoyed the drums in the previous track like this one like I, I just want to isolate them here yeah, absolutely. and just enjoy them here and in many ways each track on this album has like something unique about the drums something where the drums have taken on some added texture some added character and you know sometimes it is just about one instrument even if, it, if you could picture the show where the drums are there and the spotlight is just zoomed right in on them which only makes it a little awkward because the vocalist is supposed to get that spotlight and I'm totally zoned in on the drums I mean there's no rule for that I mean the lead singer though he's the lead singer or she's the lead singer doesn't need to be the focus it's true it's also funk so it's probably a lot of like trade-off you can oh, imagine a live sure. setting it's just like everyone on stage points at the drama being like give it up for this guy he's awesome which he is. <laughs> yes. Um, but something about this track on an even simpler level is that it's just hard not to bob your head to this track. I mean, it's got that infectious nature, that that kind of almost indescribable infectious nature that we, of course, are describing, but it just kind of gets in your head and that's, you just get wrapped up in it. That's something that has been true for me since the beginning of the album, but yeah. it is certainly more It's even here. more pronounced here. And it was, for me, it was because the guitar felt like it was stepping up its game to really compete for center stage with the drums. I enjoyed the through line throughout this entire track, especially with the last chorus, where it just really just seems to like take off and just kick it up, go long notes, really just start reverberating on top of everything else, and 
kind of finalize a statement that's going on right here. I think actually the moment that stepped it up for me was the uh, a later pre-chorus, probably right before the third chorus that you were talking about, which goes to show, like, there are so many sections here that it, as long as you look, as long as you squint, there are things that are going to change between each and every section. It's not all just, you know, repeat the previous structure. And in this case, I really loved the ed, the added texture of the, the drums' specific resonance. It sounded like they threw in certain toms that had a deeper resonance than some of the drums that they were using in previous pre-choruses. And I just loved that. It was. It, I love cases in which you have uh, drum sets that expand beyond their typical format. You know, it sounded like toms that your average rock drummer just simply does not have. You have your five-piece drum set, and that's all. This guy feels like he's drawing from a much broader collection. Like, he orders a different drum every, every month or so. And that was actually present as well in the bridge. Another, let's break it all down and rebuild it kind of a bridge. But this time, they led with the drums and made that a, a strong focal point instead of just you know, phasing them on top of chimes or something like that. It was right there with the beat, and it was doing what I wanted in the previous track. It was harkening back to the full beat, but it also had clapping, and mm -hmm. I didn't dislike the clapping. For the, for me to even be able to say that means it was good clapping. It went along with the vocals. I liked it. It was a really another one of those solid rebuilds, but for me, it started at the beginning of the bridge instead of about halfway through. Okay. Something we, that can be said, though, at this point, now that we're pretty much getting to the end of the second song, is that there's a pretty solid structure here so far, and it becomes even more pronounced in track three, but before we get to that, you're already noticing here that we've got a verse, we've got a chorus, we've got a verse, we've got a chorus, we've got a bridge. And then a we, chorus or, or two. Or a chorus or two, or maybe <laughs> one more verse. Yeah, Depends. actually, I think that there, the chorus here was like a double-length chorus yeah. at yeah. the tail end. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it was at that moment that I was considering that this track perhaps went just a tad too long. Like, I was enjoying it enough earlier that you think it would just warrant it, but I don't know. They were, just, they were having too much fun with it at the end, and, you know, I, I guess I'm not as big on jam band structures when they do keep the overall setup. Like, the changes that they had made, they had already made at this point, and yeah, now they'd kind of But I would even use the term jam band loosely <coughs> because it's still following a pretty tight verse course, I, I and agree, there's not uh, much improvisation I use there. it extremely loosely. It might have been because of... It's not just what happened to the love. It was, it was the fact that it was... What happened to the love, love, love? It was the word love was repeated an awful lot in the choruses. Yeah, but As, it was almost becoming instrumental towards the end, I feel like. And towards the end, it was coming back on itself. Yeah. In the earlier choruses, even though it was the females backing them up and actually really doing a nice little accent, it was still a little bit on the repetitive side. So it was that final chorus. Uh, that was doubled and did kind of break free of the mold, that it really felt its best, felt its most emotional, I want to say, because that's the time I felt like he was reaching a little bit further than he had previously. And that's where I was accepting for the length, because I did feel that length starting to really hit me about halfway through the first of the final courses. I don't know, this is a hard, hard one to really pin down, but... When it starts really like phasing, when it when the, the the very final chorus really gets that kind of that final little push, that final little kick upward, mm -hmm. it it came back together for me. It did solidify it into a nice emotional experience. Right. It's early in the album yet. <laughs> it will, it came around again, if you will. Like exactly, we're, we're all fans of How I Met Your Mother in the episode where uh, Marshall and Ted get stuck in a car. The first the car. half of show with the with it, just five hundred miles. Right, and where they no, say, no, don't worry, they'll come around again. And, and this one this song does that. Like I I. I I feel what Steve felt 
almost for an instant, but then I kind of just got swept up and again, it came around again. Just crank the volume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's too easy of an answer, of course. Track three, not the one. Not so the one. This track feels a little more modern than the previous tracks. Like, I get more of an indie rock kind of feel here, you know, an Arctic Monkeys vibe, if you will, from the guitar work a little. Oh, yeah. This is a pretty heavy, well, of course, uh, they are called the Jose. Heavy. Well, Jose has, a, I know, a big fan of Alex Turner. Um, yes. Has brought us a lot of Alex Turner's work, um, including Last Shadow Puppets. And in this case, I, yeah, I felt it because of the more slow groove that this had. And Alex Turner, also Arctic Monkeys, they kind of go back to 70s uh, material quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and in this case, the drums kind of mask just how slow and groovy this track really is, uh, which is actually one of my f favorite things about funk. Like, the drums are pretty fast-paced, but the melody, everything else, the melody is so much slower. Um, the drums are just kind of like an engine that keep it going, and I thought that was another nice added texture, another role for the drums to have. But, all right, first verse, the falsettos start layering in here, and then this great funk guitar on top of that. It was a really just tasteful start. And let's read the lyrics here because the melody kind of focuses you in on them. I took a leave of my senses. I walked the long way home. I jumped the walls and the fences, skinned all four. I can't afford to be there. My name is on the list. This is what you could have loved. This is what you missed. A lot of uh, a lot of confidence there, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> confidence uh, uh, in, a, in a different way. Right. Um, yeah, and I think this is the first time really on the record that the lyrics have something... Not that the other lyrics didn't have anything to say, because that's harsh. I don't, I, mean, I don't mean that at all. But I feel like here there's, there's more than just rousing You're nature. engaging with the lyrics. Yeah, I'm, I'm paying about, more yeah. attention to the story here. Because as opposed he, to just listening to his nice mellow vocals. Well, because as we go through the album, he actually starts telling stories more and more. And it starts to really happen here for the first time. Well, let's look at the chorus now. So don't make me beg on ball and chain. Don't face the fever on the burning flames. Don't call me baby. That's not my name. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. Hmm. And you know, There is a you confidence put, you put this, here. There is yeah. confidence. If you put this into you know that funk setup and you add the story strut that's there. You know, you can just see, like, it, it comes through. I mean, to go full force here, but even the sexuality of it oh, all. Oh, sure, yeah. It's not just that. The chorus gets a little bit scatty. It gets kind of high on the pitch, and it gets a little bit scatty, and that kind of instrumental scat thing, I don't know what else to call it. it. Well, it does, but but energy-wise, I actually noticed that the chorus didn't really pick it up that much, like, in comparison to what the previous choruses did. Well, actually, the chorus of the first track really didn't. It also kind of, like, tore it down a bit. But this did pick it up, but only marginally speaking, which... At first, I thought wasn't a great choice. I was wondering why they didn't go all, all, go all out here. And it, I realized it became a great retrospective choice because of the following reasons. The second verse was very, very different. This added a lot more. This was probably the most progressive second verse that I had heard uh, in terms of just like, all right, it's got the same overall structure, but everything else has changed. Everything else. It's driven so much more by the bass. And also his vocals here stand out so much more than they did in the first verse because they're staggered. Like... Listen to these lyrics. And now I feel the danger. Is my head on the block? Is my heart supposed to beat like a broken clock? Yeah. And the and way the clock, this links with everything else is it's, just great. It's not just that. The clock comes in. There's a little bit of technique. Yeah, they get yeah. a little bit of flair on top of this. And you're missing one of the biggest points. The drum has completely changed as well. You're getting a whole I, I different have a bigger layer. point than that, but keep going. There's a whole different type of drum being used. Hand drums or percussion that's just different that's just completely different but it's doing the same sort of ideas 
And that itself, because they're not resonating the same way, allows this broken up verse work to really just flow very well. All right, that's cool. You were focused on the low end. I was focused on the high end. I was focused on these really awesome, like, synth additives. Mm. These little things, they're really not too apparent on speakers, depending upon the kind of speakers that you have, but on headphones, they are crisp as anything. They come out as these, like, little double notes, these little echoes. They come in pairs, and they just kind of comp over everything else. It was really... Really, really beautiful. Uh, well, maybe beautiful is not the word, but they have their own beauty to it. I, it just adds to the all f- the funk structure of it all because they have a rhythm. So even when other instruments come in, uh, instruments that should be comping or that should be melodic, you know, they, they it all comes down to, to this syncopation in the end, which is what funk is all about. And they build on each other really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring in other sound bites too. Like I think I heard a bike bell at one point, and like I heard all, something like a ching ching. Yeah, yeah. They, they get creative. They get creative in using these kind of different sounds to mix with the music, to mix with what Steve was talking about. It there's so much more here on so many different levels, especially coming from where we were in track one and two. I feel like I just, I really like the direction everything's headed at this point. Yeah, this was a, a pretty high point for me um, in the album. And then, of course, uh, you know, they, they do certain things as we kind of wind this track down. Like the third verse going into the third chorus, there was this transition that just had like these pulsing synths. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that we hear for a while until we finally get the third chorus proper. But I guess as a whole, I'm going to have to agree with John. I still think that in the end, the drums are the focus. Uh, I, w- I would argue that this track really is all drums, or maybe it's because of my previous point about the rhythm and how everything else feels rhythmic. Then it just feels like the, like the drums are just... Everyone's surrounding the drums in a vortex to work off of them. And it's rare that you get that kind of interactivity in music. Yeah, I think I'd be a little bit on a different level for that. I mean, I agree about the drums, but I think for me, I'm personally focusing on the drums and the vocals the most. Sure. Everything else is still, of course, a very important part, but that's like where my brain is kind of going first. All right, then let's move on to track four, The Apology, which um, is interesting because this is just like a 4-4 strut. We've kind of simplified it a little bit. It has some emphases. The main emphases are this one and, and three, one and, and three, and that's kind of it. Um, it's but it's fast-paced, so it's it's less of a strut. It's more of like a full-blown gyration, actually, it's a, it's, every pulse. It, it feels very confident. It's got this attitude to it that feels playful and coy, but definitely at moments also in your face. And it's I think it's because yes, of that. A gyration pulse. in your face. Well, very you know. pleasant. <laughs> I mean, you know, who doesn't like that? There you go. But, um, but, but, I mean, once the vocals come in, it does kind of have this light and almost silly air about it. Like, it doesn't take itself that seriously, I don't True. think. It, 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 I mean... This song at its core, I think, also is meant to be danced to and kind of just kind of groove to. You know, there's it's not superficial because I don't want to say that because that's a negative connotation. But I do feel like it's meant to just be taken as is and be kind of light and fun. It's a little bit cheeky, I think. Yes. You think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I especially want to point out that in the chorus, I think that really hits home because while I do love the female backups they 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 keep hitting like great notes and they keep doing a lot of solid comping with his vocal work it doesn't feel as solid or as serious i guess as the previous tracks when they step in it felt a little bit lighthearted even so when the chorus steps in and it's your focal points you made me sorry and then the women come in but that don't make it all right and the way it's drawn out it's not punctuating anymore the same way it was. It's not comping the same way it was. It just 
in, in, in one way, it's just bridging between his two phrases. Well, it's meant to be more call and response instead of punctuation marks, I think. Yeah. And well, I would say the, the previous parts where these females step in, it was still call and response, but it was more hard-hitting. I guess. I, I don't know. I think that it's... it. I, I see what you're saying. I think that's just more in... Uh, effect of the way this song is structured specifically and less to do with them. Oh, I'm not saying one way or the other if it was because of the vocals themselves or because of the structure. I'm just saying that's how I felt. Got it. <laughs> I'll take a, a, another cue from that lyric that you read. You made me sorry, but that don't make it all right. Admit you're wrong, but that don't make it, make it all right. Oh, down on your knees, but that don't make it all right. Beg and plead for forgiveness, but that don't make it all right. <laughs> not, not, not enough of this guy. And it, you made, made the point earlier that it was like kind of had a cheeky vibe to it. And I want to read the first verse to kind of bring that out. Take it back like you know I want you to. I'm hearing what I know. You don't see that it's on you. So I guess you think this means that I love you. But some things that you say fuck with my day like bad news. Like, it's... It's a little strange. I, at first, I thought it was kind of like the the musical setup here was it's going off of the same like confidence that it had earlier, mm-hmm. but here it's just adding a little bit of that. You like at the chorus again. You made me sorry, but that don't make it all right. Admit you're wrong, but that don't make it all right. Like it keeps going back and forth between the confidence and then maybe the your typical like singer songwriter like take me back. I don't know. Oh, I don't think there's any take me back here. I think this is very much. You know, this... almost the antithesis. Well, of that. he was wronged, though. He, yeah, he was wronged, and he's making it clear that there's nothing you can do about it. You know, the I ain't gonna take you back. Right. The apology is not good enough. Essentially, the title of the song is called "The Apology" because that's what the song is essentially all about. This apology, and that it's not good enough. And I like okay. that, and I think that adds to again the whole air of the track. Okay, um, that's fair. But yeah, that's yeah. it. Really gets present in the second verse. Yeah. yeah. That 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 thing that Matt's talking about. So I guess you think this means that I hate you. I couldn't hate you, but I'm waiting for some hurts upon you. Like fee, fi, fo, fum. And that that part right there gets really punctuated with the kick drum. Mm -hmm. Just has a nice little reverb going on. All is said and done when there's nothing wrong. But I know your words and you're cruel. Always stick together when you're breaking fool. Okay, he's just he's just kind of this is a pissed off track. Yeah, he's at the end of the day, that's what it is. Dick, which is the point. But he's like, I don't hate you, but I kind of don't like you. Yeah. It's, a, it's that a, moment of a mismatched reactions though. I mean, it's the, not with though. the gyration. It really it's like you picture him walking like to the lyrics. You See, picture him walking around, you know, angry. But, the, but then he's also kind of walking around with such a confident strut, like he's picking up people as he goes. But that's because uh, there's there's another little piece that comes in the bridge. The bridge has such a weird feel to it for this track that I think does fit, but it feels like it's going back to the 1930s. It feels almost like the theme music for when the Betty Boop villain shows up. I I wouldn't go quite that far, but I I would say that it, it it keeps with the downward chord progression idea, but then it abandons that to a resolve, which then has this like suspense. Bended chord. I could see where you'd go back to like a big band swing era, perhaps, but it. I, I'm not sure if this was the right thing for this moment. I think it was cool, but then when it, it just, like, this doesn't last for too long, and then it swings back to the earlier section, and you may never hear me say this on this podcast, but where the f is the solo? Okay, yeah, that's the other thing that we both brought up. I, at this point, track four. I, we we complain about it, but I wanted something masturbatory going on right now. I, I know we we complain just... about it all the time. We're like solos, you know. Look, solos are a little overblown. The solos are a little overrated. They don't really sometimes they don't really add to the content of the music. But in of all environments here, like 
It would have totally added to the content here. Everything well, already has the pep. All you had to do was have one instrument to reflect it. And the quality of the instruments that are, that's 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 here, the bass that showed up in the previous track, the drums that have been showing up systematically in yeah. every track, like they the all horns, the the strings, like even the even the simple comping strings could have done something, and it would have been it would have been at worst cool. Like they all have this crispness and this you know rhythmic nature to them alone, but they're all kind of constrained. They keep you know they sort of stay in a loop. They're doing the same things, or maybe they get utilized as like slight little soundbite slips here and there but like give them one just one of them a chance to you know show off we don't get that many occasions of that on this album and i I guess i found that a bit of a problem at the end of this track i'm not saying i didn't like the bridge it just uh it was very different and i felt like this could have gone a different route it was weird yeah that's that's the only way i can describe it but i'm not saying it didn't fit that's the one thing i'm not saying i didn't like it i loved it actually it does actually fit for me me, it just felt like a little bit of a, I don't know, a callback to something that I'm not getting, I guess, at the end of the day. That's that's where I'm coming from. All right, fair enough. Track five, Nobody's Hero. Uh, in my brain, in my headcanon, this is a uh, spiritual successor to Shortchange Hero from the other side, or actually the same side, because both songs are kind of about, there's no need for hero, but... Uh, that's just in my brain. Okay, that's uh, one interpretation. <laughs> um, I mean, it's something I connect this to, but as far as the Nobody's Hero track, of course the irony is that it's presented like there is someone's hero. Yeah. It is very... Uh, well, it uses a specific kind of structure to, to present this, and that is it goes Spanish. The brass, for instance, specifically has this vibrato to it that is like you immediately picture, you know, men on mules in sombreros just following around your hero and, and, and singing his song. And the melody uh, overhead, the, the, the vocal melody, is just really pretty... It's probably the most simple on this entire album. It's just these groups of, like, three notes. The vocals just reiterate it over and over and over. But it's not just that. It's the way he's presenting it with his vocals. They're weak, and this is this is something that is a very big positive because it's not weak as in he's not being forceful enough or anything like that. He feels downtrodden. He feels like he's hurting. Build it up, knock it down. Wear your love like a crown. Keep the faith in my head, in my heart, in my bed. And because they're spaced out and because like you get those those three notes they stand out in a, in a vacuum. It's very weird. Build it up. Knock it down. Where you love like a crown. It's very, very strange. In some ways, it almost it, it contrasts, juxtaposes itself with the brass, which is very, you know, grandiose uh, in its own sort of somber heroism. Well, I mean, this song, I think, at, uh, at the core of it is trying to just be a storytelling song, telling the tale of the hero and how... He's nobody's hero. How he's nobody's, not needed. This is why it's somber. And 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 I think that this is where we started to get a sense of this a few tracks earlier. But this is where it really starts to take hold. This this guy's got a story to tell. Let's all shut the hell up and, and listen. I love the story of yeah. this track. In the second paragraph, first verse, cry it out, let it bleed. Wait until the waves recede. Rip apart what's in my hand. Dwell upon what's not been said. Rue the loss of innocence. No release. No recompense. How long will this whole thing take? Will it bend or will it break? That's great. It's a great That's writing. That's great for me. But what shows up, because honestly, up until this part, we're getting fairly easy going drums and two chords on a bass, and that's pretty much it. And, but, and second to that, even just the vocals themselves, I admit, you win red, when, if sung, they would be really great lyrics. I think that 
alone though, the way there's this this th group of three thing kind of separated them in a set. I didn't pick them up immediately. Like, well, no. maybe it separated them too much for my ears. I oh felt... no, I felt like I was just grooving along with this story that was that was being built. This story that has full of loss and pain and everything like that without actually explaining a darn thing. And I'm enjoying. So that. You're okay with every single other instrument being uh, sort of pared down alongside no. the vocals themselves? No, because even there's other things that do show up towards the end of this verse, like some string comping to accent certain words and certain syllables that he's using. Yeah, and but there are other things like without the vocals and the story, there's just not nearly enough going on. There's so little. And, and on, if it wasn't for the pairing and the way it's being sung... I really probably would have disliked this track. I'll be honest with that. All right, let's talk about the few things that do go on here. Because, yeah, when the strings enter in, in the chorus specifically, I, I enjoyed them uh, because they also kind of go hand in hand with the brass. They add a little more to the dramatism of it all. But the they have kind of a synthesized edge to them. In a way, it, it makes it all sound a little fake maybe which which is intentional of course because again it's not heroism it's nobody's hero that's that's the point he's trying to convey but i i almost think that the irony would have been enhanced a little more if the strings had a little bit more breadth if they were expanded um but i don't know that's just me there is one other thing here the guitar the guitar is pretty much just purely synchronized with the vocals. Later on, it gets a little bit more spicy, but in the beginning, the guitars are just doing kind of that three-note pattern, right? And it gets a little tiring just going, you know, up and down. Like, you'd think that that one guy on the mule would take his job a little more seriously. I don't know. This is my vision, at least. Right. Yeah, you're, the, the, the you thing your... you're picturing is not quite what I'm picturing. Which is weird, because but... Steve doesn't normally picture things. He just lets the music wash over him. That's true. I do. <laughs> wow, that mocking tone couldn't have been any thicker. Um, no, but seriously, I, I think that we can all agree that there's definitely something picturesque about this song. Like, it's definitely meant to invoke some kind of image in your mind of the hero or the anti-hero, the post-hero. It's after being a hero. He right. failed. There's something going on. The ironic maybe, hero. Maybe he'll save a town later on. But right now, he's not the a hero anymore. Hero. No, no. He's. This is actually kind no, of a I, classic when it comes he to. He said ironic, so I went to hipster. Okay, okay. it's okay. All right. Chant your name. Sing its song. Burn a fire all night long. Make a protest. Cut that rug. Anesthetized like a drug. Count the cost of a new start. Poisoned well, broken heart. Will I stand or will I shake? Is it real or is it fake? Um, I kind of like the philosophical edge that he added there mm -hmm. at the end. I mean, the question of well, I, that actually made me think like it is. It is this the like the social media quote unquote hero, the guy who doesn't really do much but, but feels like, like he, he does. does. Yeah, I mean, it could it, be. I don't know. It's just a theory. Just a theory. I, there's not enough content, I think, in the song to specify that, but you could certainly apply it to that for sure. It, it's it's vague enough that. That's kind of a sure moment, you know? There's there's nothing to say no, but there's not really anything to say yes. Either. No one's idle, no one's saint. I'm no one's lion heart. With every kind of mess I make, how can I be your guiding star? And I noticed that at all of uh, during all of this, there is sort of like a double time nature to this. Like the, it, everything gets just a little bit heavier just to spice up the journey, like the pace have, have, has picked it up. The mules are traveling a little faster now. But to be fair, with those lines, you know, with every kind of mess I make, how can I be your guiding star? It does kind of 
bring it back to the personal message, the idea that y you're not going to be able to save someone. You know, the personal in a relationship, you know, people look for someone to save them, and that often isn't true. But nevertheless, I like my theory for as long as it lasted. Which wasn't very long wasn't very at long. all. <laughs> Me, I, I just like the tragedy of it. And like I said, without the story, without the vocals, we just got a beat. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but that, but, but 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 that's a, a a null and void argument because the vocals were the point I think here, and so I like I hear the vocals what you're saying. in the poetry. Yes, yeah. So it's like saying if we didn't have the purpose of the song, we wouldn't have purpose to the song. Well, well, duh. I'll give you that. All right, mm. I'll give you that. Oh, All right. track six, Miss California. I we get some kind of creep here. Like, yeah. the, the synth has kind of a creepy tone to it. And it's actually, frantic, too, at the same time. I love the But considering the lyrical content here, it makes sense, because we get more storytelling here. And, you know, it's just in the setting here, also, like the previous track, is very much built within the instrumentation and then the lyrics that come in shortly well, after. Let's also focus on the obvious connectivity here. I mean, this keeps the Spanish feel. In fact, rhythmically, mm -hmm. this has the edge of uh, Spanish habanera, which is sort of a Spanish uh, contradanza, sort of. It's this like one and three, four, one. And three, four. You can find this in such sources like uh, Carmen, right? Mm -hmm. The play Carmen. You can also find it in, uh, well, there was a reference to it, something that I've been playing for many, many years, which is actually a ragtime crossover of a Mexican serenade, which is uh, Scott Joplin's Solace, which has that very slowly done. Dun, 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 dun. So as a whole, you get a much more mellow track, but... Going with what you said, Matt, definitely more passionate because the melody is considerably more standoutish. Just even to to dart straight ahead here for the chorus, she used to be Miss California, and just the way in which that is drawn, it is oh, yeah. it's a full melody. Unlike we've really gotten anywhere on the album, we've just had these like short little spurts here mm -hmm. and there, no nowhere more simplified than in the last track. But here, it's it's a it's a full item, and I was first time thought it was gorgeous. James Brown, gorgeous. <laughs> I love the desperado feel that comes out of that first chorus because it leads into the second verse and becomes sort of like a major character going on. That's that's the sound you were describing. That's that's mm -hmm. what I call it. Well, desperado, uh, because there's no other way I can feel it. If the tragic hero was in the previous track, this one had a little bit of an evil edge to it because the creep that shows up, it's frantic. It's that. The combination of it being eerie and kind of off-putting but at the same time the short burst that it shows up in adds an urgency and I love the duality that it's presenting just by itself. Well and it's tied into the track because the lyrics focus very much on monsters and zombies and and creatures like like descriptive words like that even though it's about a, a woman it, it she's being described as a monster as this person who's not what she used to be and in the second verse after that chorus that you guys were talking about it has some of my favorite lines mm -hmm. what kind of maniac spends your money as she spits your bones which i love that line it's just so well crafted and then the follow-up to that no aphrodisiac could mask the echo of her Aching death moans, oh, which it sounds just, yeah, but it's the the presentation is dirty sexual, dirty, but, death but also moans. but like the comp that's yeah. that's good, that's really good. It, it's re it's really well done, and but it's even further the follow up. It's more than just a crucifix to keep that thing at bay. You save your small town nightmare for another rainy day. Yeah. I love it's you got a crucifix. To, to try to frighten away this individual, but it's really just kind of a blip in your little small town. Like, yeah. 
not only is she a monster, but she still at the same time means nothing. Right. And that that is really it's, it's really that's well done. Stingingly beautiful. Yeah. And, I love and, that. And yet you she, can feel the pain in those lines. Yeah. And yet she gets the 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 heroine tone, right? The Miss California. Right. <laughs> it's because, very well, it's, grand. Because it's honoring what she was. Because he, yeah. the way he's delivering these lyrics, it's not like he's he or anyone else has always hated her. She was looked up to and even admired and put on a pedestal at one point, but she's fallen uh-huh. from great heights at this point. And and they don't even really go into the details as to why, other than she's broken a lot of hearts. But beyond that, you don't really know. You just know she was on this pedestal and she's not anymore. Well, the final verse, your ballroom days are over. It's getting hard to hide. That bitter look that's on your face when you're that messed up inside. Yeah. It's, it's the final little nail in the coffin going on here. Finally, her outsides match her, her insides. insides. Yeah. And yeah. I like that. It's it's that call out of, you were always a bitter bitch. You just look like one now. Well, and I, yeah. I, I also like that we actually get a solo in this track. That, but, but, not that. A good, but not a guitar solo. We get a trumpet, a trumpet solo. trumpet solo, which I was really glad for because at this juncture, I was like, oh, now you show up with the guitar solo? I wouldn't have accepted it. The but trumpet was a great choice because, of course, it fit the new sort of Mexican habanera vibe that they've been building now for a couple of tracks. And it has all those little frills. It has the, the little trills. It has a technique called the, the shake, either a lip shake or a full shake, where the trumpetist actually kind of bobs the instrument very slightly up and down. It's used very commonly in mariachi music. Uh, but it's just that sound that's so tethered to Mexico specifically. And I was loving it. And it was a full-blown solo. It had It, it felt... Like it had uh, enough length to it, but also it wasn't it fit really well. It, it wasn't didn't feel fleeting. It didn't feel overblown. Yeah. It was just it, right. It flowed through too. It didn't just end. The trumpet didn't just leave when the solo was over. It blended into the instrumentation. And the fact that it just kept going was, it felt like a a actual individual stood up besides the vocals, and that's something that I've been wanting for yeah, like three four tracks. I, I now. would I would say that 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 song was probably one of my favorites so far. Actually, between Nobody's Hero and Miss California, that that duo right there, they're they both do work really well favorite. together. Well, because they're both. It's when we really hit that hard stride for storytelling, and I love that. Well, it's 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 a genre shift that I didn't expect, but that they pulled off effortlessly. That yeah. I think maybe was even more enjoyable on a funk album. So let's go to track seven, Turn Up, which um, kind of brings us back to the funk, but a different variety of it, because here, oh boy, if he sounded James Brown before, it, it, here it's to its max, I yeah. think. But we get the, the song starts with piano that sounds like piano. It doesn't sound like synth here. We get some yeah, low, little, kind of soft piano yeah, here. Yeah, it's a in the background. Mm-hmm. But it very, doesn't very quickly, very it just yeah. goes, hey, nope, just kidding. Horns, beat, mm. excitement, yeah. have fun. There well, yeah, you go. The vocals and the horns kick in pretty much right after, and then it becomes completely James Brown-esque. I think, and I'm sure he's done songs with piano intros also it doesn't stay low key very long it, it's almost fleeting if it weren't so nice kind of to start i would actually say it's fleeting but i think it still works for the structure of the song and the piano i believe is there in the background still it just well, gets overpowered the, by it's everything the idea else of well here we go and turn start with up. the chorus there yeah. you go there's your turn up because it is the first time we're starting with the chorus instead of a verse mm-hmm. i like this because we're getting you know bravado right away on the track mm-hmm. and it's really solid bravado because when the verse actually steps in, it makes me realize how pared down it is and how 
like nearly like legitimately boring the verses are. Um, see, I didn't necessarily agree with that. I think the verse was a little more focused and intense because mm-hmm. of the chords in the background. They kind of have this searching nature about them. They circle around and they just add a bit of intensity to the following chorus because then after that, you know, you get the, the guitar which is later doubled by the strings and I think this was actually a nice build to the following chorus. And I think also like, I so I agree with Steve and I think that if you had had that chorus to match the verse and they were similar to each other, you would just have this kind of wall of sound. There's a difference here and it kind of gives the song a flow. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for that guitar and string piece that steps in to add additional effects, I would just say downright boring. Because there really is nothing but a basic beat line otherwise. But, and here's the big but, I even with that kind of intensity build, that slow burn fuse that's going on in the verses, I still don't really see it actually living up to the choruses because the choruses mm. really are pretty. They're 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 a solid like dance piece. They're raucous, yeah. I mean, I I would say that my bigger problem with this song is this is the first time that I really start to feel the repeating of the verse chorus, and it could be because we started with the chorus. But you know, while I like the song and I'm kind of on the same page as Steve as far as kind of enjoying what they're doing here and enjoying the change from verse to chorus, they also do it a lot, and the choruses are also kind of lengthy too like you know it it just feel i can kind of i'm getting worn down by the verse chorus nature that we've been getting so much of at this point there were just some predictable choices yeah like for instance you know the build to the final chorus like you get the fast drums that are just speeding up the eighth notes right and it's using the it's using the kick specifically which really throws us back into the james brown chorus in many ways i guess I guess the song is all chorus because the chorus lasts for so long. Yeah. I think that's why I liked the verses next to them. Yeah, um, no, I, I would agree. It broke it up because really I think even though the chorus may be fun, it that, like, that can't be all there is. Right. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say as harsh as John is saying that it's boring. Cause I said almost. Almost. Okay. I did. I did. I did say because almost. they do have enough energy here, and they do do enough that I don't really ever get bored on the this first record. chorus. Is great. The second chorus is nearly as great. The third chorus has worn me down. No, yeah, point. and I yeah. and I totally agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. But th- that said, I, the drums were great in the choruses themselves. Like that's another. It's it's there uh, again. I, I feel like that's become the ubiquitous statement of the record at this point. The drums Actually, are great. No, are I would I would argue. Oh no, back to one eighty two, Travis Barker. <laughs> no, in the previous two tracks, the drums weren't the shining feature. Here, the drums are back as the sure. shining feature. I'd say still they were great, even if they weren't the shining feature. They were still great. Which is what okay. I said. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Put it that yeah. way. Track Let's, eight. Yeah, <laughs> a ghost you can't forget. Um, this, like. The intro reminded you of something, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Hit the Road Jack, most famously done probably by Ray Charles. It, like, this, to a T, at a different speed, felt exactly like it. It had that bluesy, da na 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 Like, and it kind of, but it kind of sucked me in really quick because it was recognizable, but then I just liked what it was doing, too. That always has, that's always a split reaction with that. Yeah. I mean, it's recognizable, therefore familiar, therefore what is unique about this, you know, but I like that song. So you go back and forth on those yeah. rounds. Um, the verses here, I, I liked because they were, they, they were kind of quirky. Like, 
I wish perhaps that they had made more of the comping instruments in the background. Like I enjoyed them, but it made it, it seemed like they were being used more as like you know again those the, like soundbite material, like something here, something there. Uh, like even in the pre-chorus, it throws in like this little xylophone thingy, which adds some mystique. That's nice. But overall, I just wish they were flushed out and made into something more. But you know, the, the flip side is they are they are quirky. But the interesting construction of this track made it feel timeless. But but also kind of stuck in time at the same time, especially since we're, wow, I said time a lot. They, <laughs> they, Because they are clearly referencing something here. It's not an accident. But it also does have those little things that you were talking about that kind of make it stand out. All in all, though, emotionally, I think this track is kind of filled with this forced regret, as I want to call it. Like, you know, a ghost that you can't forget. You know, this stuff about me that you will never escape you. Like, I'm gonna make you be regretful almost. Don't well, be mean to me in my lifetime, because I'm the type that go for days. Play pretty wife for the rest of your life with your own regrets. Cease to dismiss your karma. My own mission, break. Vengeance, you'll see, will be forced, you can believe, bestowed upon you on the brain, and, uh, stop. You're making me look like a fool. I'll show your blood definition of cool. This was quite an interesting turn of phrase, and then of course, of course, when but you don't pretty want much... me, I'll be waiting. When you don't want me, I'll be there. But you're pretty much backing up everything I, I just I said know. lyrically, I'm... which is, I that love was, that. That was the point of me doing that. Well, sometimes well... you're antagonistic, so. <laughs> sometimes? <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, quite often, and usually <laughs> off air, if you can believe that. <laughs> but for me, it's hard to really get the old school image of the back alley tomcat kind of a feel, slinking around, that, that kind of dirty-ish feel associated with this rhythm, with this framework, I can't... You say it's timeless, but I think it's even further than just stuck in time. I think it's kind of trapped in a bygone kind of a feel. And it doesn't feel the modern infusion that I've gotten on a lot of this other album. It feels like it's harkening too far back and not really trying to bring it forward. I agree with that. I actually agree that's, with that 100%. I think the it, it is just here by this point, you know, you're a little bit over the, uh, the, the quaint nostalgia of it all. I'm not saying that this entire album has existed in the past. In many ways, it does update it considerably. In other ways, it just kind of wants to perhaps further or perhaps just stew in a bygone formula. Uh, for instance, in this case, the formula was that it used a bit too many tricks, you know, just it gets tiring after a while. The the, the piano octave trills, just da -da 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 -da, it gets a little, a little much, you know? We've had that. We've had that since the 50s. It doesn't really do anything for me anymore unless it was framed in some kind of unique context. But the context here uh, doesn't even really carry over some of the unique things they did add, like the the uh, the Mexican influence, the Spanish influence. That's not there. We've just swung completely back to the beginning. So that was only a tool that he utilized for this weird nebulous middle ground on the album, and that's kind of disappointing. But wait, there's more. Oh? Uh, well, when we, we, Do tell. Well, talking about modern feel, when we go on to the next track, Last Confession, that has a more modern feel again. We kind of shift back to the nebulous beginning middle where there yeah. was an indie sound and we get a more indie rock sound here again um, brought back to feeling like we're something closer related to Arctic Monkeys so, again. Or Actually, I thought maybe Franz Ferdinand. Or Franz Ferdinand I, With a little more of an indie funk edge. Sure. I felt almost right away it was 90% the kids aren't alright. Like that's mm. what it felt like the framework was of those first initial riffs because they 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 halted just just short of finishing 
that phrase that I'm so familiar with from growing up. But it's another case where it leaves me wanting. Well, I would agree with that. I would say that, and Steve brought this up pretty early in this track, there are a lot less comping instruments here than had been in previous tracks. Most of the other tracks, actually. It did feel a lot thinner again, like the previous track did, but even more so, it was starker, I feel like, here. The bass was actually framed really, really well, but I wanted so much more of it. Yeah, but it was only framed really well because there was less of everything else. No, 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 that's that's actually kind of what I'm getting at. The bass, it was... It was in a great spot. It just, it. I wanted it to really just start exploding. Like here, it felt like it was set yeah. up to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was only one really interesting part of this song, uh, but it, for another again, it, it exists on a weird line. The bridge was a bit softer here. No percussion, just these synth drones and then the vocals. And it made me think, all right, this stuff would be really fun live. I think for that setting, I think this whole segment really, really would work. And maybe the album, it made me see the album as a whole in that light. It makes uh, perhaps good speaker music as well, um, which, all right, you got two-thirds of the settings, but it doesn't make great headphone music. There's actually a bit of boredom there. I'm going to agree with John. If you're just listening on headphones, then this is perhaps not enough. But, you know, if you're doing something, if you're cleaning, you know, you got a, you got free range of the house, then blare this, and I think it would be rather fun, and the bridge kind of brought that out maybe even more than other parts of the song, or at least it made that point for me. Um... But last thing on the headphones listen, since of course that seems to be what we come back to in the end because that's where you probably will get your more in-depth listens, it would seem as if there's a bit of pointlessness to even listening to it in headphones in this case because the whole point here is to dance. Yeah. And, well... You can dance with headphones on. Yeah. Well, not that's really what Apple good, iPod, early iPod commercials would want you to believe. Yeah, not good ones. Like, like full, like... Yeah, they would rattle a lot. Yeah. Believe me, I've tried. Big ones. I've like, tried. You need a little earbuds. Maybe you just need to up your dancing game. But little, oh, really? You can balance your headphones. You have a... What do you have, a shock absorber on your sure, head? why not? But I want to point out, you said you could dance along to it with... Earbuds really get the reverb you need to, to yeah, enjoy well, that Yeah, only amateurs use earbuds. But that's how you would need, that's what you would need to move along to it. That's I what I'm guess. saying. That Those would stay in your ear. So there you go. The argument's pointless. Like, it's it's a hard place to really, really find it. But I will say, I could definitely see a live setting. Because yep. I think emotionally, that bridge works really well to hit the crowd. Yeah. To really bring a crowd down, to do sort of pen emotions instead of individual emotions, and bring it all down and get everybody quiet and yeah. a little bit introspective, and allow a rebuild to be. I to I realize well. I realize it's not the best defense, and it's far be it for me to be the one to use it, uh, because in general I do think that whenever you're ignoring certain sections, you know, ignoring has to be the word you're going with there because it implies that you're in a setting where you can afford to not pay attention for a few few seconds and if something wasn't really you know a, a headphone listen is perhaps the most uh, invasive of all listens because you are hypercritical of everything at every moment it's I, where you can be on my in, in my opinion the most fulfilled i would say intimate instead of invasive invasive feels a little bit harsh well it goes with criticism it's where <laughs> criticism will come from primarily um something i want to say moving past the bridge um when the song starts to really wrap up I like the messaging here, this uh, don't try and save me, there's no one to blame. This idea that he doesn't want to be saved because there's no one's at fault. He's, it's just this is a 
bad place. It's his last confession. But both the chorus, the first, the last time it comes in before the, the final repeat, it goes, uh, there's no one to blame, somebody save me. And then at the very end, it's, there's no one to blame, no one can save me. And I hope you uh, really do enjoy the don't try and save me, there's no one to blame message. Because you get it a like, bajillion times. About 20 times. But, you know. I'm, I'm not saying, though, in this case, it's actually bad. No. Because the vocals get a little bit ringy, a little bit mm-hmm. softer. And it, once again, I think that would work beautifully in a live setting. That's what yeah, I miss. Because of the way it's one of those unending, uh, forever kind of a moment that... Mm-hmm. When you're experiencing kind of it with people, that's what I said. I enjoyed this in yeah. a certain in a certain light. So as long as you can visualize that and put yourself in the spot, then my argument is this song has has use. This environment has use. Let's go to track ten, Mean Old Man. So this song has a similar kind of attitude or strut, if you will, to the apology, at least in the way it's presented. The sound is not identical, but definitely that kind of attitude is. I, I Honestly, I want to liken this attitude to Mean Mr. Mustard, because honestly, sure. it's that same sort of a feel, even though it's sounds kind of different it's it's a strut it's a it's a guy who's there's a confidence here not just a confidence there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder yeah, and i'm true. okay with that yeah. i'm i'm gonna groove along with that you just hear the beatles saying he's a mean old man in your head he's a dirty old he's, he's man a dirty old... no he's so clean um, <laughs> you know all that said it we here have here again a case of less you know it's less about the instrumentation. There's less of it. But even here, the, there's a very strong the character. horns are here. The horns are there's here. There's a touchy guitar. Yeah. Kind of a... Yeah, I don't want to say that there's less instrumentation. I guess it's just a different kind of comping than we're used to getting. But here, definitely, the focus is the mean old man. This character and the story, again, being told. And I feel like the lyrics are often at their strongest here. Even if the instrumentation is not, I like, hey, everybody sit down and shut up and listen to my story. Like... I want to listen to the stories. And and here, for sure, it's as strong as it had been in previous storytelling tracks. There is something I have to say about the rhythm here. It okay. feels like it leaves something incomplete at the end, um, but it, in, in doing so, perhaps adds a slight bit of tension. The rhythm is over, like, a, a two-measure cycle, and it does this, like, one, two, and, and four, and one, two. One, two, and, and four, and one, two. You just have a little vacuum at the end there just yeah. to kind of sit. And this is the majority of the song. Uh, it's even got the choir in the back. It's got the Motown choir. So there was something a little bit different, I suppose, in feel of this track, but I feel, still felt we're kind of in the same setup. I feel like we're kind of in that different but not Uncanny Valley sensation here. It's kind of late in the album to really, like, totally change it up. But and uh, it doesn't change as it goes through the motions of verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But when the bridge shows up, yeah. I really found that to be a very interesting part, and I found it to uh, to do a lot to redeem the track for me. Well, a big part of that bridge is the kind of megaphone vocals that we get there. They're echoey, and they kind of add this distance to the storytelling and kind of it makes you want to focus in because you want to hear what's being said because it sounds more important for some reason. And I enjoy with really good percussion, like really, really, yeah, good, really good percussion. In fact, there's there's two sets of percussion. You have kind of the core thing that is just the, the core rhythm here is just this like one and one and right. But then after a while, then you get another set on top of that, and the other set is far more elaborate. And I really, really enjoy that. And you, this kind of feels like a solo in a way because this the whole bridge because a uh, percussion solo just because they're a little more exploratory and because we kind of get a hard stop right before the bridge began. Yeah. So. If in those ways, I guess there was a more of a spotlight sensation and less of a, you know, just within the flow of the band. But 
yeah, the, the choir, the brass, the drums, I think these are all pretty much positive things for the, the band as a whole. Well, yeah, and the chorus had more pizzazz than the previous song did, which I think kind of really, it had an energy, and I, and I appreciated that. You know, I don't. Mm, I don't know if there was that much more energy, only because the content and the kind of downturn nature of how he's presenting it. I mean, he's getting called a mean old man quite often here. Well, no, so but he's not being called. He's calling himself. But I'm a mean old man. Mean old man. I'm a mean old man. I know that I'll never write a little scandal with your heart in my hand. Yeah. Heart in my hand. And I don't mean to be cruel. I never meant to hurt you. But now I'm a mean old man. A mean old man. Like and right of... there, that's where I want to say it felt like it was a name that was fostered upon him. That he was kind of forced to own after a while. Right. He's reluctant about yes. it. Yes. Yeah, he sure. doesn't. And that's where that kind of... It, there's a little extra pep. I'll give you that. But it's still... He's still kind of dour. That's true. He did start off by saying, "It's like you're telling me things I already know." You know, he's just kind of like, "Ah, sure, I'll, I'll, I will indulge in this story of me that you've created in your head." (laughs) I think the pizzazz mostly comes from the delivery of how he says, "I'm a mean old man." Well, he's starting to own it after a while, especially as the as the song goes. I feel like he owns it more and more. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's more what I was referring to. Okay. Definitely agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, track eleven, "Slave to Your Love." Okay, surfy punk, and this is surf probably rock? the uh, nope, no, it's punk. surfy it's punk, and he right, means right, right, what right. he says because we talked about the surf rock punk. <laughs> Damn it! But this, this might be my favorite sound on the entire album because it feels, it, it feels like the biggest change from any of the areas they're really picking up. In previous tracks, we've talked about how, yes, there was a Spanish influence, a funk influence. This feels like it actually is two separate ideas that were meshed well together because the punk drums that are throughout this piece are very much like like old school Pixies hardcore-ish. But the guitar on top of everything else does a lot to lighten the load that the drums set up. Because the surf rock vibe that you picked up on, Matt, yeah. in the instrumentation is very apparent. It feels very lighthearted. And then the the sort of dance punk vibe that I picked up on in the rhythm and the just that kind of the forceful but muddier nature of this, uh, especially even later with the phasing on the guitar. Well, that's kind of a separate thing entirely. And uh, yeah, so John just took both of our interpretations and fused them together because he's all, you know, inclusive. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's funny because it's the same song that would make you maybe want to dance on a beach, but while you're dancing, you're kind of moshing and headbanging. Yeah, there's a little bit of thrash. I mean, there's definitely a speed and energy in this song that we have not yet gotten on the album. It's probably one of the fastest-paced things we've heard so far. And the most prominent thing the bass has done on this entire album occurs, and it goes, dun, 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 dun. And honestly... I think it did it eight times. Yes. Uh, maybe, but there was other things going on. It does get this little solo spot of four, just just the same note, four times. It's it's nothing more than like a transition piece, but... Yeah, it's not a solo, it's just... It was a nice hollow point to really get some nice deep resonance in this track <laughs> that just... I ate it up. I loved it. Here's the thing. This may seem the stupidest thing to like hone in on of all the things we've honed in but. on. I think sometimes music is really just about like opening the shutter and closing the shutter. And I think that's what this section means to us because of the fact that the bass has not really been an element anywhere in the album. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Everyone just shut up. And he, it's like he's standing out and peering up his head for a moment. Granted, of course, we have had a lot of bassists where they kind of own the show. In this case, it, he, yeah, he's, he's not, he's they not didn't, They didn't guy. get flea. Yeah. They I guess. <laughs> But they really could have used them. But here's here the the song itself feels nice and short and sweet and doesn't 
really seem to overstay its welcome until you realize, and it took me a moment to realize the first time listening, and even the second time listening, the outro doesn't actually become the outro. The outro sets up this kind of echo rebuild that everything just comes back, we get another course, and that's been our big complaint, but this turns from an outro to a bridge, and it feels like they go through something of a reprise. It doesn't change anything, but this really nice, long breathing section that is built in into the, the core of the track made me really enjoy the fact that they were dwelling on everything that was going on in this piece. And this bridge also has, again, that kind of megaphone echoey uh, vocals. It's a loudspeaker, but distantly. Like right. hearing a loudspeaker distantly. Which is why I thought it was funny that you stole my words in the previous track, the exact words that I had kind of set up for this track. For this track. one, right, because he um, does it twice in both songs. And in the meantime, the drums start going crazy. They're getting louder and louder and louder before they were finally were double time and then joined by the choir, finally bringing back the full chorus. So I think this is a track that you can kind of shamelessly rock out to. Again, I'm kind of like banking on that argument for right. this album, um, which makes me wonder why I guess I doubted whether I would just slip into the funk so easily as of mm. the first track. You know, it makes me wonder why I doubted that. I was being, I guess I was ready to say like, ah, well, not every funk album is for me. And then later on, I started thinking like, eh, I can use this album very shamelessly <laughs> and just enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be in the, the end of the discussion, but I can say that as a whole, I, I sort of enjoyed this. And I enjoyed the proper reprisal because normally reprisals in funk always bring you back to something that you like. Right. You know, it may be a little devoid of something extra. Extra, but it's got the basic components. Once again, you're meant to dance to this stuff. Yeah, and I wanted to say, and I said this off air, and Steve kind of corrected me, I thought it would have been a good album ender, but upon discussion, uh, Steve pointed out that it's actually a good set ender. Like, if you yes. rocked out to this at the end of a set when this band is performing, and then they just, they, they end the song, it, it is the perfect high-energy ending. It leaves you on a high note yeah. such that you may go out, seek out that band's material, and or recommend them to a friend. Right. And what we get for our final track, Goodbye Baby, is exactly what I was kind of expecting. This, these last two tracks, I will say, as far as tone goes, extremely predictable. I'm thoroughly okay with that because <laughs> we got a big high, a big sugar rush in Slave to Your Love. And we get a nice cool down period with Goodbye Baby. Uh, this is a slowed down soul track. You know, this is the slow groove, if you will. It's Oh, darling. I mean, I could picture people it's, slow dancing to this, essentially. Yeah, it felt like, it felt like, oh, darling. It's another Beatles reference. Okay. Well, but, I will never stop having Beatles references. Yeah, because it's yeah. bluesy and it's in six. Well, yeah, it's I mean, not just yeah. that. It's the punctuation. There's a little bit less edge. It's a little bit softer. It's a little bit tone. deeper. Yeah. A little bit deeper on those tones. But it has that same sort of feeling that they're going for. In fact, I believe the word darling is used in the track itself. I liked it as a nice cool-down period. Yeah, I think it was a good way to wrap up the album. I think that the bittersweet tone absolutely reminds us of Oh Darling and songs of the like. Um, and you couldn't help but kind of just sway along and get wrapped up in the story again. You know, the lyrics get to step forward here because of, you know, kind of how slow and sway-worthy the track is. And I like that. I don't mind it. I like his vocals and I like the words he uses when he sings. You Which know. I will read in a moment because the words are probably my favorite thing about this track. But overall, I'm not as forgiving of this final track. I agree that it needed something else to end the album, but you could have gone in a variety of different ways. And I don't know, this felt just a little bit arbitrary. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not going to argue with that. But there are a couple little things that do show up. The strings, the horns, they add flair, they add some texture to it. So it's not just a simple slow groove. It's got a little bit, a little bit extra going on for it. It's got a little extra meat on the bones. It's not a I don't momental think there's much piece. On no, that I, I will give. I will give you. It's not a momental piece, but it's not leaving me on a sour note. Well, certainly the lyrics don't. By time we left our stairs, damage was done, no sweet forgiveness, and nowhere to run. Still can't believe shit that got saved reverberated around my ear. It was goodbye, baby. Baby, goodbye. You'll be gone. Goodbye, baby. Baby, goodbye. Where you belong. By time we hit Brooklyn, blood had run cold. Our fever said, get your own home. Love in your eyes, darkness disguise, demons drifting away. Oh, oh, hope in my heart pulls me apart. Darling, don't leave me this way. It's goodbye, baby. Baby, goodbye. You'll be gone. It's goodbye, baby. Goodbye. Where you belong. It is a sweet message to the end of an album that just as easily could have had this message or not. Sure. I feel like... No, and I mean that specifically because of how I feel during this album. I just feel happy. Yeah. I just feel happy and involved with the music. Um, not always on a moment-by-moment basis, but in a general sense. <laughs> And I don't, don't often hone in on the lyrics. I think that has been a little bit of a problem, which is why it is a bit of a shame to get the closing of a message that was, uh, I guess, put forth in the only way they know how. And that's fine. I, mm, I get the message, though, or the juxtaposition between the message and the music that's going on right here. And this is the first time where they mesh up. I guess because for the most part, it's it's a sad lyrical album. It's a sad context album. J- James Brown vocals, you know, are <laughs> when you have that. It's like I don't I don't think you're always listening to what he's saying. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't even understand. That wasn't really an issue here. But you are watching the sweat pour down his face. You are listening to the energy, and that is important. Yeah, and the energy here kind of betrays, in one sense, the the really sad and dour nature of the words. But I like this betrayal because it, that betrayal and that juxtaposition does a lot to allow the happiness and the real energy of the music work with this sour note. So allowing them to mesh at the end, I guess, is good. I guess is a nice way to give it finality. Um, but as a whole, while so many bits and pieces of this album... okay. Right away, we'll just get it out of the way. Drums and vocals. Vocals aren't always amazing, but he's a good vocalist, and where he gets great, he gets pretty damn great. So it's got a couple things going for it, but the melodies were, for the most part, a little bit too short, a little bit too rhythm-oriented, so I couldn't really feel very expansive. At points, I wanted more showcasing of instruments because I thought they were great. I just wanted them to flourish. And it, it I don't feel like, as bad as it sounds, they were masturbatory enough. I don't feel like they were really allowing the breath to expand out of the guitar or out of the bass. Those two instruments really did feel quite constrained on this album, even though they became kind of focal points when meshing up the percussion to the vocal. So it's kind of weird. It's it's a little bit of a gray area. My complaints feel like at times they're also compliments. I don't know. 
I like the overall sound. I like the fact that it seems to go through different fields and different ideas, and it doesn't leave me stagnant. But the unity is also there. So, like, it's varied, but it's the same. That's good. That's great. It's got the two sides of what I like about albums like that. But the heavy reliance on the verse-chorus structure does a lot to detract from that. So... I'm getting mixed messages in this album, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a lot of pros and a lot of cons, and they show up at opposite times. All said and done, though, it is an album I rocked out to. It's just not... It's not for territory for me. It's a solid, great, you know, pop rock with a lot of other influences. So I'm going to put it at a 375. I'm going to start off with the biggest pro and the biggest con. Uh, The biggest pro, of course, is that I enjoyed this album quite a bit. Um, I think it really can be enjoyed shamelessly. The biggest con is that I think there was a lack of substance to this album. And those exist in somewhat separate fields, strangely, for the first time in this particular review, or or for me in general in this podcast. Usually they are very, very synced. Usually I find substance and then I enjoy it. It kind of happens with that chronology. This time it is, yeah, it's sort of the other way around. It's, I enjoy it first and foremost, and then if there's substance in moments, then I'm like, oh, hey, cool, but I didn't need it. That sounds kind of cruel, I suppose, to a, a band that is very tight and... Clear, must put on one hell of a show, you know? I'd love I just think, show, yeah. yeah, like, this is why I love funk. I, I know I say it exhaustingly on this podcast, but this really is why. Because I think it's a, it's a form of music that really brings out that live, like, you know, hang out with people kind of set. It just, it makes you feel good all the time. I know that there are other genres that do this for other people that I have probably in turn criticized, you know, and that could be argued, well, that's subjective. It absolutely is, and I'm just I'm just going to admit that right now. So subjectivity will bring me to support this album and everything that it does. It will bring me to support what I think probably could be overlooked, you know, if you... If funk is not your thing, then you might pull back and say, well, this is an album which has generally one sound with a couple of really, really weird outliers, and that is the the Mexican serenade stuff. Um, Let's just put that aside for a moment. But everything else kind of has the same, like, that one sound quality. It has a lot of energy, and that's about all it has going for it. I could see standing in a similar field where, like, well, that's a lot of heavy rock, hard rock, right? That's... They just have one feel, and there's nothing there, and you refuse to go any deeper. So, it's the same exact argument, it really is just standing on opposite sides of a very subjective plane. I, that's what we try to explore in this podcast, and sometimes we get somewhere, and sometimes we get nowhere. Today, I may be a little bit at a loss, but I can say some things going for this album that I do believe are very intricate. I believe that the drummer is incredible. I believe the drummer is, in his own way, very unique from the last time we had an amazing drummer on this podcast— not all on the podcast, but that we reviewed, and that was Blink-182's California. Of course, Travis Barker is amazing, um, and we've had many other times before that. This time, I-, I also loved the fact that it had a lot of texture to it as well. It wasn't just that he's an amazing drummer. I-, I loved that he changed up the use of the drums, and I think that's something that funk does offer well and beyond other genres. Funk is all about drums and bass, 
Um, and not just in a cursory sense, but they are far more intricate, I think, than you'll find in a lot of other genres. So, so far, we're on a pro that leads toward intricacy. Uh, the big con, of course, is structure. Structure, yeah, this just, it really did have a, a rote nature of the way we go back and forth between verses and choruses, and then your curse, your courtesy bridge, which sets you up for another raucous chorus. Um, you just get a little tired of that, and... I know that there's been funk out there, which I found to be a little bit more experimental. I just wish this had gone off on that tail, you know? Experimental funk, people don't think it exists. It damn well does. And uh, that's what this could have used. It makes me not ignore his lyrics, I think, because the lyrics are the reason why this stays controlled. I believe it's one of the reasons why it stays controlled and, and fettered. Uh, that lands me in the same territory as John. I may have made different points, but I lead to the same spot. It is a three, seven, five. All right. Um, guys, I'm going to blow your mind talking about the content of the record by repeating the title, Hurt and the Merciless. All the songs are about Hurt or the Merciless. I would even say that the Hurt that's going on right here, the actual pain that's being projected, the Merciless is the vocalist. He's the one that's just... Not always, I feel like. Yeah, he's usually taking the stance of being... But I don't feel neither hurt nor that I was taken mercy upon. I feel repaired and rejuvenated. Right, because the content of the lyrics lend towards that, but the music is another story. And I think that's where the, the... you're feeling conflict, but I don't necessarily mind that conflict, especially since some of the more interesting songs we've had have that kind of, kind of diametric opposition in them. And I don't really mind that here. Music uh, heals. Right. Um, I don't really have a lot of different things to say besides what you guys said. You covered quite a bit of it. I mean, I, 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 the first thing I have to say is I absolutely enjoyed it as well. Um, this might be... Um, the album I've enjoyed the most that um, Jose has recommended, besides the one he recommended off the show, um, because Mystery Skulls just scratches a whole different itch. I think uh, I'm in the same ballpark. The, yeah, yeah, this was a really good pick, Jose. And so this is this is gonna be well, this is gonna be above previous picks mostly because of how much I enjoyed it, but also I found something in it I feel like you guys might not have. Um, I think that while you you want to hurt. Not necessarily hurt it for the verse chorus repetition. I want to praise it because it did it in a way that I didn't want to claw my ears off. Like, it did something that we hear time and time again ad nauseum, and we usually bash for it. And here, we, we mentioned it, but we didn't bash. Right. Yeah. And, so I think, I, and so I think I, it needs to be pushed up a little bit for that because they're taking something that could easily get very boring and uninteresting, and with the exception of maybe a song and a half. And only really moments in those songs, it never got boring or repetitive. So well, I don't want to in, um, interrupt your monologue with with uh, sub arguments, but I would only say that I don't believe that I think they did okay with repetition. But remember, this is starting at the at the base level of a genre that I'm going to probably love no matter what because <laughs> of a lot of things. And they keep their heads just above the water, you know, soar. Fair, fair point. Soar. But I guess for me, I'm not like as much as I love funk as well. I'm not a funk fan like you are. I don't think anybody on the planet is a funk fan like you are. So, um, you know, I think that this is pushed up a little bit for me also because I did really get to focus on the lyrics. And even though John said that he was good, if not great, I would just say he's great. I think he's a great vocalist. I think he's a unique voice. Um, Even though we did compare him quite a bit to James Brown still, 
that's freaking James Brown. That's a great compliment, you know? And I, I would say that he reminded me of, they didn't sound identical. He has his own personality. He stands out, and I really dig his voice. It's unlike anything we've heard this year for sure, and I would say anything I've really heard in a while. And so I, I, I'm kind of giving it brownie points for that. Um, I will agree that from time to time, the repetitive nature of certain songs did wear, but never to the point that I was burned out or tired of this album. At the base level, I enjoyed it, just like you guys did. Um, but I'm going to push it up just a little bit because there, I just feel like the heavy, now that I know them as a band, I want, to, I want them to do more, and I think that they're on the right track to doing something interesting with funk and other genres if they maybe added something a little more, you know? I agree it's not for territory, but I think they're headed in that direction and they could easily get there because they definitely have the um, skill, instrumentation, and construction to do it. So for me, this rests above you guys just a little bit. I'm putting it at a 3.9. I think it's much closer to four territory for me, especially because of just how much I was kind of able to mine out of it. Yeah. It's a tight record, and I'll be listening to this uh, many an occasion, Jose. Yeah. You know? I do want to say that I'm getting sick and tired this year of getting albums that I like. I mean, seriously. Like, there are at least five or six new albums that I've I know. It is okay. tiring it is enjoying hard. life, right? Know, well, you see, the whole thing is, like, it's albums we like, and some of them are three fives, and some of them are fives. Like, yeah. this, is, this is actually going to be probably... One of the hardest reviews I've ever had for the end of the year. Yeah, because for your Because it's like, yeah. okay, no, when you get technical awards, that's fine. But when you start talking about your favorite song of the year, sometimes it doesn't have to be the best song. Sometimes yeah. just the fact that it's a rousing track just that's why we can we can add uh, add categories as we as we will them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the best part about being in charge of a thing. And last but not least, of course, I will probably be considering this this album you know when we get to the year in review to see if i find that substance which at the moment i seem to be lacking like maybe if i find some little thing that of texture that, bump that it up grows in me four. you've been known to bump up stuff before funk grows funk festers funk festers wow i don't know if that's a compliment or not i mean i know it is but it doesn't sound like it <laughs> i'm okay with that delivery what's uh have a discussion point as we always tend to do um i wanted to bring up something that came up a lot in this album, but has really come up a lot this year, I feel like. The year, it comes up all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. Um, this need to compare things. And though we've talked about imagery recently, I want to talk about specifically comparison, like uh, this need for me earlier to compare this vocalist to James Brown. Now, I mean, initially, I would say, as my initial defense slash explanation, would be we using comparison as a baseline because if people know what that thing is they'll know what you're talking about right which is interesting uh why you bring up the question for us in general considering that the idea is well we kind of expect or hope that listeners i don't really see how they could function without it you know listen yeah. to the album in yeah. which case it should be just a straight up point like oh you reference the thing that was right there that you just heard so you do do you need the outside reference point in order to bring it back I would argue that maybe it does help a little bit because we can't, since we're working through the audio medium, we can't just like point and say, hey, that thing right there. And because we've as of yet refused to add the music on top of it, right? As and of say, yet, we Hey, will this music never. right here that you're hearing right now, currently, mm -hmm. you know, we don't, we don't have that little index finger capability. So yeah. we point to other things to bring them back. 
And then we, I guess we, it is kind of an exercise for us because it relies on, number one, our comparisons being relevant enough or uh, broad enough that they reach to a, a wide enough swath of people that they really will know exactly what, uh, yep, I know what you're talking about right there, that part. It's also kind of... It, it it shows the fact that we're all coming from different places. Because well, like I, I'm I'm very adamant, and a lot of these things don't even make it onto the show. But I'm very adamant with some of my comparisons when we do our group listen when we're we're discussing things. And a lot of times I'll be like, "But it sounds like this," and they'll, the two of them are like, "But that doesn't sound like that at all." And I, for just, instance, our little split with you went Despera- desperado. I uh, went yeah. with uh, Scott Joplin's, you know, solace. It does speak to our influences because, like, I've been playing that piece for probably something like fifteen years now at this point. You know, so it's just a, in a fiber of my being that, like, that that rhythm, that core rhythm, is in that style and. It's something that I play, so... But it's even further than that. Personal. Like, sometimes I just don't get why you guys don't see what I'm seeing, or in this case, hear what I'm hearing. Like, I hear X. I hear the opening to X, and when I I hear that, this other song pops into my mind, and then I play you that song, and then I show you that song, and you're both just... No, I don't... And I look at you, and... I don't get it, but it's weird because... And then, of course, if that happens just between the three of us, which now I think have a good enough idea of what each other's tastes are, then that would suggest that we are not reaching out to as wide a swath of listeners as we hope or as we would like. A lot of people may not catch the reference. It's a long way to go sometimes. In which case, we're just, you know, fish in water. Well, I mean, I would also say that I try and keep the references as broad as possible because if I were to reference to... Michael Kill or Schaefer, while we have listened to those songs, or, or I've brought it up a lot for you guys to hear, the mass audience may not know it. Though I know for a fact that certain listeners are fans of those artists, not necessarily the broad audience will know who they are. But and the, so that kind of isolates. I made I made two specific Beatle references today. Well, if you don't and know the I Beatles, love, you're dead. Well, okay. Oh, oh darling, is hey, not look, the I most popular. I legitimately forgot that track. You know, I know Abbey Road. I know it well, but I don't often think of Oh, darling. Like it's not. It's not a big standout as track of the Beatles pantheon. Fair point. And me. also, what stand out stands out to you about the Beatles doesn't necessarily stand out to someone else because the Beatles have such a huge catalog. True. It's like. What what's the bullet point? But I also saw a little bit of a fallacy there. You know, even bringing up that track. Well, you're bringing up a Beatles track in which they were clearly referencing doo-wop and referencing it pretty heavily, and which I thought didn't even really add as much Beatles personal touch as they did in so much of their work. Right, sure. Which is why I guess that track doesn't really stand out in a. Whereas you me. might have but just said it sounds like a doo-wop. Sounds like track. a doo-wop track. Yeah. But you got to also remember we have 216 Beatles tracks just in the four of them together, and that's without counting any reprises or different versions or cuts that have come out over the years. Then you see like 195. No, it's 216. Yeah. Uh, I looked it up recently. Um, <laughs> Argument later. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get into it. But it's like, well, those one of those bands that, frankly, they kind of did like every genre over the years, invented a few of their own, and they all had just different sounds by the third album. Yeah, this suggests that so, these references only exist to so that we can have nostalgia discussions on them later. Like yes, now. that's, that's <laughs> true. But at the same time, like, it's hard to argue with someone about the Beatles like everybody's heard them well no I'm, I see I said that a little cheekily but yeah. that, there's meaning behind it because alright we say we mention we throw out the suggestion as arbitrary as it may be despite that there may be multiple things to reference at that particular time yeah. but we reference one thing in particular perhaps whatever stood out to us really strongly at that particular moment so that perhaps we can talk about it later or instill some nostalgia for 
listeners where it may be appropriate, where they find the same nostalgia, or for others so that they can say, huh, what's that reference? And maybe check it out and just simply widen their influences as well. Connect it to the album, which they may like, and therefore to something else, which, if it is closely connected, they may also like. Yeah. And I mean, I've said before many times that I like recommending music to people, and so I think the comparison part of my brain is uh, kind of a um, unconscious way of me recommending stuff by going, well, this sounds like that, and if you like this, you'll like that. We're pretty much mirroring sure. exactly what you just said. Sure, building playlists, you know, making connections yeah. where they're appropriate. I, I, I mean, I would say also, as an uh, an argument in favor for comparison, it's, it's just um, a way to kind of bring people in, because I don't truly believe that everyone listens to the album when they listen to us. I feel like most of the time they probably do, but some people might just like to listen to three guys discuss music in detail. Perhaps. But and, and so those reference points also really help if they haven't heard the album yet. Well, then let's take it more of a hard-hitting route, because that's one reason to invoke comparison. There's another reason, and that is, well, in the critical sense. Like, the yeah. idea that if it sounds too much like a thing, you know, that has been done before, then we're probably all very hyper-aware of the biggest crime that you could c- commit as an artist, and that is plagiarism. Right. right? Which... And we're all very concerned when they get close. Right. And, I mean, it doesn't happen often, but we've definitely had pop records where we're going... Yeah, that's really close it's, to it's another. It's probably thing. like the only area where like criticism has real value, well. <laughs> and not the you know the sort of metaphysical value that we attribute to it. Like if it is actually just if, at the very barest, if it has a tool for going out there and spotting out areas where artists are getting away with murder, then it should be continued. The vanilla ices of the world trying yes. to rip off Queen. Yes, stuff like that. The vanilla ices that rip off the Queens. Right, because like, it's, it's not. Happened ju- more it's than not. Once. Yes, it's, and it's not just the two of them. Like, um, um, but I and, think it's, I, and it's usually that way around, like the Vanilla Ices and the Queens. I, I definitely, but I think at the core of it, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think it's it's always interesting to when we question how we review. Because I think that we're always kind of being critical of ourselves as well. And comparison is a thing we do a lot. And sometimes we have done it too much. But I think at the core, it does have value for what we do. And it helps to explain how we're doing it, I guess. In because because if if you don't know me by now, well, you haven't been listening too long. If you don't know the three of us, and kind of where we're coming from, read the go on our website and read the goddamn page where we explain where we're coming from. <laughs> Welcome back. But when we make these comparisons, it's because we're drawing upon our own personal histories. It's hard to keep that kind of stuff separated. It and educates and informs what we do. And when we start making like the imagery that we were talking about uh, not too long ago, when we start talking about how we explain ourselves, you, you kind of have to be in our headspace. And it's hard to get into our headspaces without And our I history. wouldn't always recommend it. No, no. <laughs> our headspace is very confusing place. I mean, especially me, John's. I mean, everything's up, there's down, and then left is right. Every it's time you weird. want to open a door, you have to complete a Sudoku puzzle. But no now, joke. Here, here's the question Does music actually in- invoke comparison more often than other art forms? Like, I find, no. I find it. Common that in literature, a lot of people do try to take new works in a sort of vacuum. Like, they really try to look at, in English classes, you try to look at a book, maybe you'll know where it stands, you know, within the history, but it really is all about the author and the story, the unique, ideally unique story that they're trying to convey. I know that there are comparisons there, and I know, of course, the literary tradition, you know, it's if it's a novel, then it's grounded in the history and the structure of a novel, which has been stretched and skewed, but has fit somewhat formulaic patterns for 200 plus years. 
but it is a lot more focused. Maybe just because you have a lot more content, more words, period. Maybe, but I would say maybe not with books, but movies, TV, video games, actual imagery, art, you know, like paintings and stuff, all of those are always constantly compared to other things. But music can be like either really simple or really complicated. And when it edges on the simplistic side, then you fi- it is very easy to find patterns that will have arisen in other places. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think the same can be said of movies and TV. Uh, a lot and, of them... And I would argue that books as well, because like the ideas that germinate from the first of their types, like the James Joyce's and the T.S. Eliot's and the Kurt Vonnegut's, they are done over and over and over again. I mean, even by the own author. I mean, some of my favorite books and some of like the, oh my God, why did you write that? Robert Heinlein is a little bit too referential at times, and he's one of my favorite science fiction writers. Or Kurt Vonnegut, a little bit too referential to himself sometimes. They have very distinct voices, but at times that voice gets a little bit muddy. So when you start talking about people trying to replicate them or trying to still capture that you know, fantasy land or that Americana land. I mean, or like, even love them th- or hate them. Or, or even, like, simple uh, thematic arcs, like the epic, you know, tradition or, like, like look the at tales Mark of gr- grief and recovery. Let, uh, Mark Twain is a beloved author, but honestly did not write in a very inventive style or very well. He just had great stories to tell. His actual art, the words to the page... Uh, my honest opinion, he's kind of overrated, oh, and in fact, very got a lot of, uh, but lot honest, of angry I'm hate not, mail. I'll be, I'll be honest, and I'll be like a little defensive here. I'm not the only one that feels that way, but at the same time, hmm. look at James Joyce, who is one of the hardest authors in the entire world to read, which makes him unique because it's James Joyce. Just like some of the bands we reviewed, some of the music we reviewed has, for me, been physically hard to listen to even though I recognize its brilliance. They are the James Joyce's. Yes, it's unique in a pretty little flower, but honestly, that flower can be really ugly at the same time. But then chronology has so much more importance than we often give it credit for. Like, for instance, all right, if you're going to take those... Uh, if, if you're going against James Joyce, um, I'm actually personally not that familiar with his work, so I have no skin in the game here. Mm-hmm. But if you're taking that stance on James Joyce's material, then... It, do you concede for a moment that maybe you are influenced by works that you have read that are more recent, that have expanded on those ideas? Do you remember my intro to Radiohead and how I feel like my the Radiohead ideas have perhaps been tainted by the people who had the advantage of being their successors? Well, there are some artists, and this goes across the board, that, yes, that can happen, but there always are going to be outliers with their uniqueness, like the Beatles, which is one of the reasons we reference them. They're just just so distinctly the first, and even the people that came after that tried to, to recreate them didn't quite capture that flavor. Or James Joyce. I mean, if you read his book, Ulysses, the last 30-plus pages in the standard paperback is uh, one sentence, and it's grammatically correct. And that's 30 freaking pages. Right. Like, nobody does things like that. And even if you try to repeat it, you you just that's something that can only happen once. So your answer is yes, no, <laughs> both, right. both. For the most part, like when you hit that highest level, when you hit your Picassos, when you hit your Joyces, when you hit your Beatles, like sometimes it just can't be replicated. You just can't taint I, it. 
I would argue as a counterpoint to, to Steve's initial hypothesis of music being the most referenced and compared art. I think that it's not true, and my follow-up statement would be that all art exists as art because it lives to be compared. If something is powerful mm. emotionally, which art as a whole tends to be, you will compare it because you immediately want to identify with it and people often identify through comparison. Okay, I agree with that assessment 100%. Yes. But, 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 but with a little clause, I would argue only, this is, I was going to swing back to this, that mm. music... Perhaps because it has, it is so pattern-based, you know, and pattern-based in terms of what at its core can be very simple cells, right? That they imprint on us in ways certain senses are stronger than others. For instance, the old, duh, well, smell is stronger than others, you know? Smells can take you back to memories of years and years and years past that you may have just as well forgotten. In other words, it wasn't even an intellectual thing. It was happening on a very raw, primitive uh, uh, foundation. And I think that music may be the next up, that listening, hearing may be the next above that, because of course, going back to, you know, just simple biology, like we've had to listen for, for patterns of predators lurking in the distance. And so I think we can be very hypersensitive to those things, which is why I suggest that, uh, you know I love music in this podcast, but that there is a more primitive aspect to music versus the somewhat pure intellectualism of literature. So what my counter-argument slash amended statement might be is music isn't maybe the most common, isn't the most frequently um, compared art, but maybe it's the most easily compared art instead. All right, I'll 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 accept that. Okay, because I think that I think that other mediums are as frequently compared, but maybe not as easily. It requires a, a large breadth of knowledge, or uh, you know this this better understanding of those focused things. Where music, you can kind of just hear two things, go oh those are alike. Well, and in an, in an environment, a, a social media and internet environment where everyone gets to have an opinion, then you will find those people raising their voices. You know. Very frequently, yeah. us included. Yeah, I guess so. Because <laughs> we're not excluded from that. Hell no. no. And there's also, I want to go back to something that we've probably brought up, I don't know, a dozen times or so now. Music is a time-based art, and because it happens over a period, it, it can leave a stronger impression sure. in the long term. Because it's something, it, it, it follows a pattern, it goes A, B, C, D. Yeah, you may be able to visualize something like the Mona Lisa, or remember a favorite scene from a story, or really like get that idea of that 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 sculpture you saw as a child but at the same time it's it's still going to be a little bit tainted it's hard to remember the exact words while a tune is something that's easy to go along with it's that's hard it. to remember the yeah. exact breath strokes but you can you a rhythm is something that being rhythmic is you know a heartbeat that's it my is, point cells a, yeah. exactly things. and because it brought you know it's harder it's, for the for the brain to wrap themselves around like larger arcs thematic arcs of yeah. what is present in literature you know you or you, you even need the, but at a, a the same time of, the short like instance of a painting or a sculpture it's hard to get a lasting impression the same way music can because you only have your eyes and what you saw at that moment as opposed to three and a half, four minutes, which doesn't seem like a long time, but that's a lot longer than a moment itself. True, and I also think art, uh, visual art, is the kind of thing that is a much more difficult to be compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah essentially, I think that's also like, what John like, genres, genres for art, you know, and I'm sure art history people would, you know, snap right back at me, but I think that 
while you can compartmentalize, it is all extremely, you know, fashioned. And every artist just like, yeah, a lot of musicians, but really every artist is trying to be there in their own world. You know, they're trying to be their own thing completely separate from what people what, from while, what people have previously done. While a recorded song can be the same every single time, the artist who was in a dimly lit apartment when he created that sculpture who gets showcased in a gallery may see his art completely differently just from lighting and silly things like that. I think also maybe visually it can be uh, easier to see the forest for the tree rather than doing the same thing with your ears. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh... I guess we're kind of done with the love fest, so um, do we have spam this week? We do have spam. Have what, spam a, what a buzzkill for that fun topic. Oh, well, it, it was a love fest. That's what it was. It was just waxing outlines on, on awesome things. That was interesting. Yeah, I would do it again. Okay. Let's do it again. Again. <laughs> All right. Spam. <laughs> spam, spam, spam. Sant Ritz is more than just a home. It's a combination of condominium status with contemporary ville living. That is by Duo Residences. It's not villa? Uh, maybe it is Villa. Well, no, Villa would be the, with an A. This is with this is Villa, like Villa. No accent or anything like that. That's weird. Yeah, well, it's a Ville, like Townsville, like the city yeah, of Townsville. Yeah, it would be like the, the suffix, but I think the know. city of Townsville, a trippy, triple oxymoron. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Well, Oxy oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> is it the unoxymoron? That's how it works, right? Well, that's where sugar and spice and everything nice and Element X created the Powerpuff Girls. That's true. Which the original was great, and I saw a couple episodes <laughs> of the new one, and it's one. very disappointing. I'm sure it is. It is. Disappointing. We're going to make this about something happier than that spam. Okay. All what right. are we doing next week? We are going to be once again approaching a soundtrack, or at least music that's connected to something else. Maybe Maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a video game, maybe it's a television series, but music gets used a lot of different ways, and we've done this before with, like, Halo and Wreck-It Ralph and a few other, you know, other pieces of media we've Yeah, only one it. other, and, and that was Pacific Rim. <laughs> oh, yeah, Pacific Rim. <laughs> Which was our last, one. in fact, about three years ago in episode 55, so uh, we weren't happy while. with our soundtrack episodes, yeah. and uh, you're going to take us back down that route. Yeah, we're approaching it from a different angle, and we're going to do something that is kind of close to my heart because I fell in love with the soundtrack because the game is, in my opinion, like just flat out awesome, even though... Dude, you kind of haven't shut up, about, shut up about it for weeks. Yeah, and it's not quite a game, so much it, it is. It's a game. I hate that. It's a game. I hate that qualifier. But it's not. It's not just a game, and that's it's, the whole thing. There's more to it. That's a worse qualifier. It, it's not just a game. I know. It sounds even more pretentious. It's more <laughs> of a choose-your-own adventure, and I've been circling and circling. We're going to be doing Life Is Strange and the soundtrack that was chosen for it, because it isn't an original soundtrack. It is bits and pieces over the last like 15 years worth of music, just chosen to represent scenes in this game. To qualify, though, they actually do sell the soundtrack. It's yes. just. Not available. It's just not available on Spotify. And so we're taking exception. Someone did build the, a playlist of the, the actual soundtrack on Spotify. So we'll link to that. Was that person John? Yeah, I did. <laughs> but um, but uh, oh, was it really you? Actually, I searched, I, or I, you I pulled from an existing. I, no, source. no. I, I went on their actual website and looked up the soundtrack and what the songs were in what order. And, compiled it and then I realized all the other people had put them in the wrong order. So <laughs> I had to fix that. Okay. Um, okay so. Yeah, no, I. So, you should get credit somewhere. So yeah, yeah, but I wanted to make it clear we are still doing it because the album does exist and we can get access to the music. It's just not available on Spotify. And we've done this before with a few other things. So I wanted to make that clear. And in truth, this uh, makes it a little more complicated than our last cases, which was either, you know, go and 
see the film, all three of us together, so yeah. we understand how it pertain how the music pertains to the film. Uh, or in the case of Halo Four, where we all skimmed, John had played the game. I had not. I had played had, a little bit. Played yeah. a little bit of it. Well, now we we're not all three of us going to play the game, but at least me and Matt are going to watch the six hour long let's plays. Correct? Uh, I think the total is actually closer to ten. Oh lord! Yeah, no, so it's pretty long. To, I'm gonna actually play the. It's episodic, so I have the first episode on my computer. So I am gonna play the first episode, but I'll be watching episode two through five or six. Yeah, and that's another point of discussion. But the we the real thing is we're gonna be approaching this a little bit differently. It's more of an evening with the media and then an album review. Like, like we have yeah. an I, I think the question of whether we rate this is still up in the air. Yeah. We have monologues and then uh, bail I, out at the I last mean, second. There's depending. a lot of things that are going to come It's a soundtrack, up. so I feel like we should still rate it. But but soundtracks are compilations, and we always kind of shied away from compilations in the past. But we have done soundtracks before and rated them. But those soundtracks were often scores. Uh, yeah, except for Wreck-It Ralph, which was not. And uh, Pacific it Rim sort of was. was. But actually, no, Wreck-It Ralph was a, a combo score. deal. Yeah. yeah, like the first few tracks right. were a soundtrack, and yeah, the second few point. tracks were an 8-bit score. Fair point. As you, as you can see, we have a lot of different things going on for <laughs> yeah. this one, which is why we're going to be uh, changing up the format a little bit to, to really try to put the music in context with the other media, as opposed to how we kind of just did it in a bubble. We talked, oh yeah, this is Pacific Rim. If you watch the movie, you might get it, but if you're just listening to it, it's kind of bleh. It's a little bit different this way. It's going to be a busy week. Yeah, it's going to be complicated. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Unbeknownst to the listeners, it. we have two. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, so you should bone up also. Um, I mean, I'm hoping that, and I know some of our listeners are gamers. I actually had an exchange a little while back with Jose, a.k.a. Knockjaw, who we've reviewed recently again. But um, he plays World of Warcraft, as do I. And so we had an exchange after my autographed episode talking about some personal stuff I was doing. And uh, so he may have played Life is Strange. I'm actually curious to see if one of our most frequently interactive listeners has played this game. Yeah, it's always been a curiosity of ours, and it's been a request among many listeners that we could perhaps do more video game soundtracks. But it's just a slightly different uh, different approach than yeah. our usual fare. That's why we've shied away up till now. And like the movies that we will be bringing on in the future and other video games, as long as this goes well, which I'm praying it does, but it should, uh, there will be heavy spoilers, because a lot of these things we have to talk with is in context oh, yeah. expect, with, expect with spoilers. Spoiler so, alert, like plastered all throughout this episode. So you won't be able to turn your back and, and yeah, not keep, see it. Keep that in mind then when we actually do yeah. it. So... Anyway, Matt, if you want to take us out, yeah, I guess mail I will. all of our listeners like a giant sign. <laughs> it's a spoiler. spoiler. Don't hate me. Yeah. <laughs> just spam the whole list. Anyway, uh, on that note, we will. Uh, this is not a spoiler. Just remember, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.